Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great podcast, The C.J. McCollum Show, where every week, New Orleans Pelicans star C.J. McCollum discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's The C.J. McCollum Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? Man, it's happy to be back. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week, but I thoroughly enjoyed Spencer. I don't know. I like listening to Spencer more than I like listening to myself, so it's nice to have him on. Nah, man, Spencer came through on the Hail Mary. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, just want to let the people know off the top, got an episode of Game Theory, Friday night, 11 o'clock on HBO and HBO Max. Check it out. I think we did all right. Hey, man, I did my first late-night television show appearance. Uh, I, I went on to Seth Meyers, the Late Night with Seth Meyers uh, program. So, first of all, I watched the first episode of Game Theory, and I loved it particularly the the end of it like that got into union stuff and what is real player strength and all that stuff that's right up my damn alley and you did an excellent job on that appreciate that and yeah seth myers that's a big deal man that's that's like that's that's like yeah that's like uh you open in a movie you're the star and actor and like that's that's like top top of the top top you know what i didn't realize actually the big deal part until I'm walking in the Rockefeller Center, both when I'm walking in and I'm walking out, and people ask me for pictures, they don't even be nice about it. Then it's like, yo, can I get a picture? And I did one dude, and I'm like, hey man, ain't no high, ain't no, ain't no nothing like that, you know. But he was there with his queen and his seeds, you know what I'm saying? And I did that. And then when I was walking out, it was kind of the same thing. And then it dawned on me that door at Rockefeller Center is where you see people to take pictures with. Like that, like if I were yeah. famous, famous, that's where the people would be behind the barricade. Oh my God! Right? And be and be doing all that stuff. Um, but like it's still kind of like just an office building. Like, have you ever been yeah. to a meeting like at the Chrysler building before? Uh yeah, I think so. Like yeah, um, like yeah. like the like the Chrysler building is a big thing, like in the concept of New York and like and all of that stuff. But it's also an office building. Yeah, people right? like once you get inside, you're like, oh. This is like every other office building I've been to in Midtown. Like once you get beyond what it seemed like, you know. But no, I, I the LeBron thing was interesting because it was important to me. And I was talking to the writers about it. And I don't know if I did a good enough job on this, but it isn't an attack on LeBron. And if uh-huh. you check it out, it's just me talking about the idea of player empowerment and whether that's really happened or it's really just been LeBron empowerment. Like it ain't so much a knock on him. But it's so wild to me, like how bad we want to believe in this capitalism that we got to try to make it seem like we as the labor class are winning when we are not. That that simply like sports are just like everywhere else where the revenues are going up and the wages not in the same fashion. Yeah. You know, this this is something that uh, drives me crazy, given my union background. And it's like. Uh, the way that fans react to it is tied up in like race and jealousy and all types of other things. But the LeBron thing hit me um, in particular, because as you know, I was, I worked for the NBA players union for a year. And I remember being in executive committee meetings where LeBron was on executive committee. And it's like, 
it's I don't know, it was like seven players on that group. So it was like Steph, LeBron, Corver, like Iguodala, like guys like that. We're in the room and I'm coming from football and I'm young and I'm fiery, aggressive guy as you like generally know about me. And I'm like trying to talk about the things that we want to go take from the league. And then we start talking, we start having these conversations and it struck me that, and this was 2015, I guess, 2016, maybe 2015 or 16. And it hit me that LeBron is closer to them than he is to the like working class of players or the lower class, the middle class of players. And he made it clear many years later that not only is he close to them, he want to be one of them. And it's not a knock on him. Like I get it out for you. Everybody's out for their own gain in some ways, but it just made it clear to me that the job of leading that union the job of leading any union is hard because there's so many disparate interests across, like no one's in the same place, but that union, like the separation is so much bigger. And if it would feel bad to tell LeBron, like, no, you shouldn't chase that while also he's having his wages actively suppressed <laughs> throughout right. all of this. It's like, and so to your point, you made the, you made fair criticism, criticism of him without doing a takedown, which like we're not trying to do a takedown. Just mm -hmm. like understand that this is different. You ain't. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always feel like with the NFL, there's four classes of players, star quarterbacks, yep, other quarterbacks, star, everybody else, and then the other 75 percent of the league. Right. Like that. That's basically who it is. And their interests are disparate. But the basketball thing is different because for years it was a middle class union. Right. That's why like Roger Mason would be the dude that was running the union. And it's been a great deal for the middle class of NBA players because of the max salary. Right. Exactly. Like the max salary takes the wages down for those guys. It means a whole lot more money that goes around to dudes who honestly aren't nearly as good. They were winning. And so Chris Paul, LeBron, and those cats were like, hey, man, that ain't working out so well for us. It's sort of how Chris Paul runs the union, right? It's right. that class of dudes that run the union. And this told me a lot. When they had, there's a rule in place, or there was a rule in place, that if a player was over 36, the longest his contract extension could be was for two years. And when Chris Paul took over the union, they pushed that to 38. Coincidentally, Chris Paul was about to turn 36 and his deal was about to come up, right? The real question is, why is that provision there in the first place, right? Exactly. You don't have to give me this long contract unless you want to. So why do we have something in place to stop you from doing something that you want? Oh, because you don't trust yourself, right? So the, the idea that the push was to take that to 38 rather than to get that off the books entirely was like, oh, okay, this is a real accommodation, this sort of move that you can do when you was rich as Chris Paul. And it's like about taking away players' leverage at every turn. And the the sad part is it turns the situation into crabs in a barrel sometimes. It's like easily can turn into that because guys will see this like, oh, you out for yourself when actually like, why are we even discussing this? <laughs> you know, like this should even be a thing that we allow, we allow to happen. Like, why are we even having any limitations whatsoever? But you get in a situation where you have to fight it. The one thing I will say about LeBron, just to make sure that I, it doesn't sound like I'm trying to like rip his union participation is again, I'm in the meeting and this is the time LeBron like effectively dunked on me in the meeting. <laughs> again, it's a small, it's a small group. It's like the, 
the leadership from the executive side of, of the union and the the um, vice presidents of the union, which again is like seven of, of them. And the idea of um, extending health care for former players was on the table. And again, I'm from my perspective, it's like, all right, we need to uh, to get the league to pay for this because what, what the league is going to want to do in that situation is fine. We'll extend health care as long as you want. But this technically is a benefit. So this is going to come out of the money that's allotted for your salaries. And I'm like, no, we need to bring this up at the end. And, and try to make sure that we use the leverage to force them to play, pay for it. And like, again, I'm getting like fired up. LeBron cut me off and was like, no, the right thing to do is to take care of these players for longer. It doesn't matter who pays for it. And so like I, I and that's like money out of his pocket. Right. But again, that's one of those things. I had this conversation with a friend of mine last night where um, he was like, uh, I don't know. It's through the DeMar Hamlin stuff. He was like telling me, I appreciate that. It feels like you have integrity on these issues and like, you don't care. You know, the NFL is going to be mad and you'll speak to that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not above selling out. (laughs) It's just, I got enough money that I don't have to sell out. Right. You know, like if, if, and this is a stretch, but for some wild reason, NFL calls ESPN is like, Hey, get Fox off the air. Like, I know that's a possibility. I don't think it's a realistic possibility. I ain't doing nothing that crazy, but if that happens, I'll be fine. And like, I understand that LeBron has the power and the leverage and the financial security to do those sorts of things, which is why sometimes I think it's fair for you to make criticism like you're making is like, at some point, you've done enough for yourself. Right. <laughs> like you do have the power and leverage. And the last thing I say, sorry, this stuff is important to me, obviously. So I get off on a on a tangent. The last thing I say about the difference between the NFL and the NBA and the unions and the power in it is you mentioned the stratifications of players, they're so much younger in the NFL. Like all the guys relative to the rest of the group, all the guys that are in the bottom of that group are young because they roll them out and they roll them out and they roll them out if you're not good enough to get a big contract extension. And that makes uh, for a much bigger challenge that I think that the NBA players have because it's not the same um, age stratification uh, that you find in there. And, and the NFL basically set it up to where something like 50% of the roster is going to be guys on first contract. Exactly. Like, it was not always that everybody who got drafted got on the roster, which it uh-huh. feels a lot more like. But it, once they put in those provisions to make you have to treat those middle class dudes with decent salaries, they were like, yeah. well, why would we do that? But we could just go get cheaper children. Right. Yep. You got to um, you got to define yourself as uh, as much more valuable. Uh, you don't you know, if you're if you're an interchangeable part no matter how nice a guy you are. And even if you're better than the guy that he brought in, you got to be a lot better to get a respectable second contract. Otherwise, eh, we'll bring somebody else in to run down on kickoff and punt and to come in when somebody's hurt every now and then. Yeah, but no, the game of LeBron trying to become the owner. Like, I just wish all of us... Organized labor has been beaten down so badly in this country. And the worst part about it to me is not simply that organized labor has been beaten down, but they turned people against it, yeah. right? And it's a trickier situation now that we've gone to a service-based economy because I think that people had a better understanding of the concept and need for union when people out there working with their hands, right, might wind up in the sausage grater uh, grinder yeah. by accident, right? Like, I think that could, people could relate to that. I think it's hard for them to relate to the idea of the solidarity of the pencil pusher or anything else, you know, that goes around. But in the end, man, they keep making more money and the people do not. 
the money keeps going up in sports and so many so often we see that share of income or revenue that goes to the players go down it's so wild baseball which had the strongest union in the united states of america at a point go look at what the divisions are the yep. money that they get now it ain't what it used to be and i don't even really think it's that much the fault of the union itself like i think baseball's got two things at play um one of them that union lost so much goodwill in the 90s over the steroid situation. And I mean, the owners to a certain degree also, but it didn't allow them to be a str- I mean, they took on every fight before and they won every fight. And then they went 25 years without getting into a fight. The other part is, and this is where I find to be interesting, I would imagine not adding, not having hockey in this discussion, baseball got the most right-wing uh situation going on amongst his membership base and that's a bunch of people who've been told union bad or whatever it is they like when that steroid thing came out they were willing to sell each other out so fast in that one yeah i think baseball i think that's part of it and i also think that they've separated the classes in baseball so much so that it's hard to get the most powerful players to be willing to sacrifice now because every offseason, those guys, even though the 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 percentage of overall revenue going to baseball players is definitely going down, <laughs> the guys at the top, every year, they out here hitting home runs yep. longer than the ones before. So, like, if there is a fight, you need those faces. You need that that power to be willing to to withstand that fight. And it's hard for them to look at it and be like, yeah, this is a fight worth having. Yeah, well, it's also part of why they ain't got no problem going to these other countries, getting them dudes, because they think they're going to be a little more docile, uh, a little bit more in that can't-go-back situation, right? Like, that, they they wind up with that one. And I also think that, like, when you start talking about this, the big salaries go up, but we see average salary not going up. Because those owners in baseball, they've been caught on this before. And you see this happen where it's like, wow, everybody's getting a, a two-year, $12 million deal. wonder what that's all about. They will absolutely get together and be like, yo, so what we about to do? What I want to see, though, I don't know if you've been keeping up with my man Steve Cohen up there with the, with the mm-hmm. Mets. I mean, I'm typically not a big fan of white-collar criminals. But I bet you he ain't trying to hear none of that. Yeah, get your no- weight up, dog. Get your weight up. I, I respect the the repeated like they made a rule to try to slow him down and named it after him, and he answered it by saying, "Well, if it's named after me, I might as well break it." The, <laughs> the one like that does give me hope. Oh yeah, just make it rain on everybody. That does that does give me hope. But the one thing he didn't get in that Aaron Judge uh, race, Mm-mm. and like people uh, believe that that speaks to the collusion. Uh, like, all right, well, that's my guy because Steinbrenner apparently had like a lot of leverage in getting him into the uh, major leagues, getting him that team. And he's like, I'm going to look out for my man. But the rest of y'all. I don't know what Steinbrenner was thinking with that one because Steinbrenner over there trying to be cheap. Like, let me tell you, the worst thing in the world if you are the owner of the Yankees is the Mets being good. Yeah. The worst. <laughs> the worst. Like, the Mets are not the Nets. Right where the Nets ain't really got no people up here. Like the Yankees are the Yankees. Don't get it twisted. But the Mets mean something here, right? Like the Mets got a lot of people behind them. And when the Mets are rolling, New York can become a Mets town. Like when people talk about 86, they were like, yo, it was about the Mets in New York in 86. 
I mean, the, the future of all this player stuff and like it's it's really hard because I mean, yeah, at some point in offseason, we have more time. We could probably dive into a real serious uh, union conversation. But like it's it's hard to imagine the thing that stems the tide. You know, it's like because the the power and the leverage and players is much more sensitive to fan backlash than the league is than leagues are because leagues have commissioners and commissioners are there for everyone to get mad at. And the owners are like, nah, go ahead and walk your ass out there and get yelled at while we uh, piss off the fans. And it doesn't happen for players because players don't have that same shield because the, the leader of the union is not nearly as recognizable or as important as the players in the union. So I, I remember during our fights where the players would start to, they, they would um show resolve until we got to that 11th hour mm -hmm. and they was like that pressure was building on from everywhere, not just financial pressure, not just fan pressure. It's also personal pressure. It's just a, it's a real tough fight to have and nobody's ever on your side. If you're young and you got more money than them. Well, you know, the deed up saw a quote, I went to the top of the hill. I turned around and I was by myself. <laughs> Been there. Yep, that's what he said. He was like, okay, cool. Got it. I now understand what the job is. Yeah. All right. Y'all just want to get paid. All right, then I see what I can do uh to get y'all paid. It's just funny. LeBron gonna be the owner one day. And every time uh, you know, we talked about this all the time. Like, Yo, the problem with the league is it ain't got no black owners. You ever worked for a black person before? I have. It ain't that much different. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, a boss is a boss is a boss is a Go talk to somebody who worked for Bob Johnson. Go talk to somebody who worked at BET. Go ask them if they was like, yeah, but I'm so glad I'm working for the black man. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I am all for pushing for that as like because of fairness reasons. I don't think that it changes the way anyone is treated because not only in basketball, not only do you have black owners, you got former players. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, but Dominique, the thing is, the reason we ain't got no black owners ain't because of the fairness of the league, it's the fairness of the world. Like, yeah, that's, we, mm -hmm. we, we ain't got that kind of paper. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, Oprah barely got that kind of paper. And that happened recently. Like, there was a time when these, these franchises were much more affordable, but yeah. still, I mean, I, I look back at like, like Al Davis didn't own a majority stake in the Raiders until like the two thousands. So like yeah. putting together um, a group in debt and getting enough money to buy a team, even if you don't have it straight off the top, is not impossible, but it gets real damn hard when you start looking at eight B's mm -hmm. like, and if your but net worth is one B and you got to buy something worth eight B's. That's real yeah. damn hard to put and together. And the people you got to go get that money from got more money than you. So they can always just decide that they go do it. But you know the story on how Al Davis pulled that off, right? Oh, well, no. I know the story of how Al Davis got ownership of the team. Yes, yeah, yes, that's that what was, I mean. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't actually get, I think it was in the 2000s when he yes. was able to get majority on it. I'm talking about you. But yeah, for those who don't know, please. Tell this wonderful story. All right, because I think he got the full ownership. It was either in 03 or 05. Right. But Al Davis, <laughs> this is the movie I'd watch, right? <laughs> Al Davis was the coach of the Raiders and became the GM <laughs> of the Raiders, right? Like, he was, wasn't he commissioner of a competitive league? As yes, well? like, Davis is an amazing human being. How did he get all the way from this, right? Like, he was a legitimate football coach, right? Like, yep. the coach. He got it. He became the commissioner of the AFL. He thought that when the merger came that he was going to be the new commissioner. I'm like, fool, 
the new league is not called the AFL. It's called the NFL. The NFL, like, like Lady Eloise bought y'all. Lady <laughs> Eloise is going to be the one that's in charge. All right. But in 1972, the man who was the managing general partner, because if you watch the Raiders when we were growing up, they never called Al Davis the owner. They were very careful to call him the managing general partner because that team was run by a three-person partnership. The guy that was the managing partner went to Munich, for the 1972 Olympics. While he was gone, Al Davis called a meeting with the other partner. I'm not sure the particulars, but in that meeting, they took a vote to make Al Davis the managing general partner. And since they had two out of three people present, they had quorum. That man came back from vacation to find out that he ain't had no team. Cut throat. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it, like I, there's no there's no words for it and like that gets I, I think al davis probably likes the idea that people don't well he's dead now but like when he was alive like the idea that people didn't talk about it i think that should be like on the top line of the al davis biography it's the most interesting part of a man whose life is incredibly interesting like the professional and then like he sued the league a bunch of times like that's he a wild dude. And that we are moving away from that. I think you talk about this often with like college football coaches and how corporate everything's getting. Yeah. The same thing's happening in NFL. They are getting more and more corporate further and further away from the personalities of people like Al Davis. And ain't the league ain't letting nobody back in the league to act like Al Davis. Wait till Jerry Jones is gone. It's gonna be all <laughs> pourings. Now, like the law, the, the owners in the league for a while did feel more like regular people. Like, yeah. they were much richer, absolutely, no question about it. But they felt a lot more like regular people who happened to, you know, somehow come up on a team. Like, it was it was kind of like I used to own a minor league team. Now yeah. I own a major league team, right? Yeah. It, it ain't that no more, man. These cats are just filthy, stinking rich. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm guessing, but I, I I feel pretty pretty certain that it's true. Is that like the difference in like uh, net worth of teams that own the team now, and like the median or even the mean uh, net worth of people in America? I would guess the delta is much bigger now than it ever yes. has been. Like that seems like a reasonable, fair thing to get to to assume. And you got to have generational generational to get in there now. Like it's not. I, I don't even know what the word is for it. Because it's not like, yeah, like you don't even know where these people live. Like, I feel like back in the day, <laughs> you could be like, yeah, the guy who could buy the team, like in the 70s, the guy who could buy the team, he lived at the top of the hill. <laughs> now the guy that bought the team is setting up a colony on Mars. Like, you don't even know. Like it's, it's just a different lifestyle altogether. Yeah, man. And, and yet when there's a fight, everybody like, these players are selfish. Right. Yep. Hell no. They'll know. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout 
Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Switch gears on this a little bit. Uh, talk about the AFC Championship game. Who you got? The best quarterback in the league or Patrick Mahomes? That's what I've been seeing on TV. <laughs> Don't do that, man. That's the most absurd thing ever. I it it, it bled into the breaks of Get Up, where I I'm arguing with people like, and oh, they it, mean this. Yeah, yeah, and like I get the after a big win and after a long a pretty long run of impressive play from Joe Burrow. Like you want to say something definitive about him. Like I get that, but you got to also look at how Patrick Mahomes run has been longer and also like more impressive. And the thing I hate most about, uh, not the thing I hate most, but one of the, the difficult things is when you're comparing people, like it always feels like you're like trying to tear somebody else down. Like, saying Patrick Mahomes is better requires me to point out that Joe Burrow hasn't done a number of things that Patrick Mahomes has done, which is not fair. Joe Burrow is great. He's on an impressive trajectory. But he ain't come back from down 10 in the Super Bowl. He ain't come back from multiple touchdowns against Houston. He ain't come back against the Bills last year. He ain't thrown 50 touchdowns in a season. He don't got an MVP. He don't got a Super Bowl trophy or a Super Bowl MVP. He did have a great showing in the Super Bowl last year, but like even the, the run last year was like the first game against the Titans was Jamar Chase <laughs> like did that game. His big like comeback against the Chiefs, he played well, but he also tried to throw that game away a bunch. Like that was more about a Mahomes collapse if you're going to like parse credit in that thing. And even last week, like last week's game, he made good decisions and he was smart. But he ain't like it. They were road grading the uh, Bills, like that that O line in the running game. So like, I hate doing that because he's cool as shit. He's talented as hell. But it's okay to say all that stuff and say, but but he ain't Patrick. It just feel like we trying too hard, right? Because I'm gonna throw this out here. Somebody said this in a meeting um, on Game Theory. Nobody ever tried to say that Russell Wilson was better than Aaron Rodgers when the Seahawks owned the Packers. Right. Nobody tried to say Colin Kaepernick was better than Aaron Rodgers when he absolutely owned the Packers. Nobody ever tried to make that argument, right? Kaepernick had gone to a Super Bowl. 
right? Nobody tried to make that point. Joe Burrow managed to go to the Super Bowl. We just came off last postseason where it was weird because the Bills lost that game where Josh Allen was incredible, where Patrick Mahomes had possibly the most improbable field goal drive I've ever seen. It did not seem mathematically possible that they could get down there. We talked more about Leslie Frazier's defense than we talked about the fact that they actually did the damn thing and made that happen. But the Bills lost that game, and somehow that was an argument that um, Josh Allen could be better than Mahomes. The Bengals win the next game, where Joe Burrow's numbers, if you go look at them, were fairly pedestrian in that right. AFC Championship game. And that is in large part being used to make the argument that Joe Burrow is better than Patrick Mahomes, often by the same people. And that's why I'm confused, right? It was a win that did it for Burrow. Josh Allen didn't actually need to get the win in order to make this happen while talking about the best quarterback we've ever seen. Like, I heard Orlovsky on TV. Oh, and, God. Well, what got me about it is I'm like, this is when you got to realize we're just bored with talking about how dope Mahomes is and we're just trying to find nice things to say about other people. Right. Because it was this very particular definition of quarterback. <laughs> Right. And like, well, you know, because Joe Burrow is better at doing this, these little bitty things that all like add up to a tapestry that then become Joe Burrow. And no, Patrick Mahomes don't know how to do that because he ain't got to dog. That's why he doesn't know. Like, like it doesn't go that way. The thing is, I went through all those things that Patrick Mahomes has done. And the probably the the most impressive thing is that. He's done it again in a different way. It's like all those things that he's done so impressively, he did under an offense that we kind of considered soft with Tyreek Hill, who as good as, as Travis Kelsey is, me as a defensive player or defensive mind, I'd rather play against a team whose number one option is Travis Kelsey rather than Tyreek Hill, what he can do your defense. Right. So you take away the best weapon, potentially one of the best weapons in football you take that away and he's found another way to still have the best mother offense in the league <laughs> and get a mother mvp i'm sorry dan that bleeps need to be in this to understand how impressive this has been and like people are like to your point i don't know I, I have no clue why they want to discredit LeVon Mahomes the second. I I, I I can't quite figure out why Patrick LeVon Mahomes is someone who they do not want to celebrate time and time again. I think I, the kindness in me wants to say that you're just looking for something to say and yeah, something new. Right. But then you start laying out, all these other examples where we had an opportunity to say something new about other people and we didn't do that something new saying and it's just it's just weird to me it doesn't make sense and i think like i can sympathize with orlovsky because i like i know how it is when you are in the pre-show meeting for get up you like you have to say something definitive because the way that we think about that show is like all right it's eight in the morning or excuse me it's 10 in the morning to 12 no, I mean, it's, eight yeah. Yeah, it's eight to 10 and people are getting ready for work. People are walking around. You want to have a definitive statement that makes people stop and listen. So 
Dan wanted to say something definitive to make people stop and listen. But in Dan's damn head, he know that that Burrow not better than Mahomes, <laughs> which is why he was like, he do this better. He do this better. He do this, this better. But you know what? This little lane of quarterbacking. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Dan, you know better. You know better than what you're doing. But I, I get I get where you're coming from. You want to give him some sort of title because it ain't fun to get up on Monday morning after um, – Burrow has a very impressive win. His team does something very impressive in the snow. It's not fun to get up there and say, good win. <laughs> On to next week. <laughs> you know, which is well, what or, we should be saying. Or it's not fun to jump up and be like, did you know Josh Allen has the most turnovers in the NFL in the last three years? Like, like that's, that's see, that's, that's part of where it gets interesting to me is, I mean, we went real hard on Josh Allen. Josh Allen has not reached the, so when you going to do it, dog? Yeah. Right? Like, I, I didn't hear that surrounding conversation around you know around that dude when it got to that point i'm just this year with mahomes and with who they were playing with and to make first team all pro i'm just throw something out here this is something i don't think people realize which is how hard it is to make first team all pro as a quarterback drew Brees was never first team all pro um i don't think he's the only hall of famer that you'll look up at and be like yo that guy was never first team all pro patrick mahomes is 27 years old and is two-time first team all pro Tom Brady was not first team all pro for the first time until he was 30. Until he was 30. That's when he got first team all pro for the first time. Aaron Rodgers now has it four times, but those last two were those MVP years that he stacked up there on the back end. Mahomes been to five AFC championship games in a row. And by the way, they had a chance to win every single one of them up until this point. They lost that first one when uh, the Patriots did something that was still, to me, I think, underrated. Just split Gronk out wide and just right. said, pass the ball to Will. What's anybody going to do about this? And then just walk down but the field. That was actually, yeah, that was the the strategic part of the game that I think matters. But also, uh, was it? it wasn't Clark. Who was it? Somebody jumped off sides. That was yep. the defining play. It's like right. they actually had that game won. That's right. They actually had the game won, and someone jumped off sides. And so, like, they should have won that one. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go back. Yeah. Then last year, where Mahomes, the second half, they were owning them in the first half. And that, uh, what's my man's Lou? I don't know. Anaromo. Yeah, Lou is a beast. Mm-hmm. Lou is a beast. Like, I do want to say this. While I definitely want to make sure that I, my thing with Mahomes, just to kind of put a button on that is, we, let's just enjoy it. We do this with a lot of other people, right? Yeah. Like, I guess Michael Jordan messed around and never lost again. Therefore, he made it to where all we did was enjoy him. But we don't spend enough time talking about the absurdity of this. Do you realize Cincinnati Bengals, between last postseason and this postseason, have yep. won as many postseason games yep. as they had in franchise history prior to this, right? Because I grew up at a time where the Bengals went to the Super Bowl when I was eight years old. They mm-hmm. went to the Super Bowl when I couldn't remember it when I was one year old. But I ain't realize that them next years, boy, whoo, they became defined. And to win like this with that team is amazing. One Top of the to thing, bottom. Yeah, one of the things that I bring up uh, a lot, and D Ford was the guy that jumped off sides. Thanks yep. for the reminder there, Dan. Um, one of the things that I bring up a lot is that I think that it's more important to have a quarterback in a good situation. If you look around the league, you'll see all the best quarterbacks in football in the last several years came into good situations and that allows them like you take pressure off them that allows them time to develop the argument for joe burrow is he the only one 
You dropped him in a trash situation, and he's st still I rise. Bro, we told ass. him. I was telling him to hold out. Me too. I was like, you ain't got to go there if you don't want to. Yeah, and like that's an incredible thing. Patrick Mahomes' situation was good. Everybody else at a top of the league quarterbacks came into like pretty close to good situations, and he rose up and and lifted them. And like they brought in good players, obviously lots of good players, and. The coaching staff seem to be strong, too. But that is a feather in his cap that Mahomes can never get. Uh, he came into a competitive team, set a year, took it over, and then took that team to guard level. But yeah. that's that don't mean that he, we got to say he better. No. I mean, I will say this, man. It is impressive that Joe Burrow kicks it like he does and oh. it works. Because I, I love it. I lo that's the, 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 the thing that's happening here. All right? And this gets me. It happened. It, it was kind of like the thing with Josh Allen too. Hey man, these white boys seem cool, and y'all gonna mess around and turn us against them with your shenanigans when it ain't even really their fault. Like Joe Burrow definitely thinks he's better than Patrick Mahomes. He can say that. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> he can say it. He can believe it, and he is cool. And like he even like it, it, it's clear that the the aesthetic that he is kind of. I don't know. It makes it seem like it's premeditated. It, there's a lot of black influence in, in Joe Burrow's personality. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that you guys have hated in black players for a long time. Now it's generally something that we love in Joe Burrow. But at least one thing I can respect or appreciate about Joe Burrow is he has not backed away from at least also being outspoken when it comes to like issues of race and society. Right. So like, I, I would never argue that somebody is putting, I mean, I would, but I'm not saying in this case that Joe Burrow is putting on some sort of mask. Like it seems natural and comfortable for him to be this um, uber confident, cool ass, like frankly, black athlete, like yeah. that, that general steez. He, he said his favorite nickname is Joe Shiesty. And <laughs> like he, and it, it seems natural to me. So I'm not going to like argue that he has to pretend to be something that he's not if it's natural, but also it seems that he's aware of, yeah. of the culture that he is somewhat enmeshed himself in and he's not backing away from it. He, he going to tell you generally when y'all doing some racist and deal with whatever backlash, because in part he knows you throw them you touchdowns. Y'all can't do nothing to him. And also he has another shield that he can use. Just like I said that I got enough money to say what I got to say. Yep. He got, he got a couple of things that allow him to say and do what he, what he wants to say. Dominique Joe Burrow won the Heisman trophy and spoke out about food scarcity. Love him. Love him. That's what I'm saying. Love him. How could you not <laughs> love him? Like I get it. I get it. In that slow motion video, I had to do two like little, um, like little pieces on get up where it's like focus on me. I get to pick whatever plays I want from the weekend. I did it twice in one day. And so I had to pick out six plays. Two of those were not even plays. I showed him do that spin pass twice <laughs> and separate times because that was the coolest <laughs> I seen in a long time. That little pregame spin pass in the mm -hmm. snow, put some music behind that thing. It was cold. I'm making everybody watch it. I love Joe Burrow. Y'all not going to make me hate him just because I live in reality. He's the best. He's just not the best football quarterback. Player. There we yeah. go. There we go. <laughs> We went a while. I want to go to this other game, man. I turned on Pardon the Interruption yesterday. It was uh, Pablo and Kornheiser, and they were asking the question if Brock Purdy 
should be the starter next season. And it was unequivocally, yes, that Brock Purdy should be the starter. And the person that it was being posed against at first, Pablo was like, yes, take Brock Purdy over Tom Brady. And I swear, Trey Lance got to be over there like, <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Like, I want to point out a big difference between this and I think the example that is easy for people to go to, which is Tom Brady in 2001. Uh-huh. They were already kind of out on Drew Bledsoe in 2001 like he was a really big name but he was also becoming antiquated because he was just too slow took too many sacks like you can go you can go look at it I think that first year with Belichick there and Bledsoe he wasn't so great then they you know switched things over leaned in on the defense okay boom voila magic it happened you traded three first round picks for Trey Lance Trey Lance got to start one game this year and I just need you to tell me what Brock Purdy has done that you just don't think that Trey Lance can do that's all I'm saying, right? Like, Purdy has done the job, and he deserves credit for doing the job. But, again, this is not like when they made that switch 10 years ago from Alex Smith to Kaepernick, it was like, oh, a dimension has been added. This is completely different. That ain't what's happening here. You're like, wow, look at him keep it going. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Lance played one game in a monsoon also. So, like, the one game we have to point to, it was, like, raining cats and dogs on the terrible um Chicago field uh this season so yeah I think generally people are I mean we know this it's not true it's like you don't want to mix it up when things are going well but I don't think that's how uh Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch think uh if that's how they thought they wouldn't have traded all they traded to get um Trey Lance that extra Mm -hmm. dimension matters you look around this league who's having success it's all guys with that extra dimension. Even Joe Burrow. Look at that um, week 18 game against the Ravens. Oh, he can Burrow's move. Like, he's, he's an athlete. Like, it's a, it's a, it feels like a necessary part of um, your game going forward. And not to say that um, Purdy is not that, but if you want to imagine what Trey Lance could potentially be, you can look at the running ability that we see from Justin Fields. Like, that is the best-case scenario. Now, imagine Justin Fields in a Shanahan offense. Imagine having to account for McCaffrey in the running game, Samuels in the running game, Ayuk going deep, Kittles blocking and also um, running RPO game and splitting the middle of the field. Imagine having to account for all that and then having somebody who can not only get you five on his own read, but can get you 15, 20, 30 on his own read and so whatever deficiencies he has from like not playing a lot of high level football i don't think they matter because right now they work they're not asking um right now they're not asking purdy to do any like elaborate reads like these are like one read plays he's not you know like they're not asking to do anything hard he pretty much knows where he's going with the ball before the snap happens if trey lance can be accurate enough in that situation this team becomes something that is incredibly scary. Yeah. And yeah, best case, I, I guess the way that I think about it is who would, who would they rather have be their quarterback? Yeah. And I, I just don't see how the answer to that is Brock Purdy. Right. Like, like I, who I, would they rather have the best version of? Well, well, this is the other thing too, man. I, I hadn't really been keeping track of this number, but I've seen it come up a lot this week. I did not realize the Eagles had 70 sacks this year. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, this is a lot to ask of the youngster who isn't necessarily the most talented guy 
to be out there. Meanwhile, Jalen Hurts over there, um, like it's wild. We talk more about Brock Purdy than Jalen Hurts, and the Jalen Hurts story is honestly every bit as improbable. The oh, only yeah. difference between Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy when you talk about the improbability of being here is that Jalen Hurts is a little more talented, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's it. But this, if the Eagles go, by the way, we might have a black uh, quarterback Super Bowl on both sides for the first time ever. Yeah. And at which point, I might have to fly home to watch that game with my daddy. Um, <laughs> like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, momentous sort of occasion if that goes down. But I thought about this with Kyle Shanahan. I feel like a lot of observers, because they said some report was that the 49ers are on the go forward Rock Purdy program. Feel like a lot of observers may be projected onto him the same way they projected onto him when they tricked themselves into believing that he was going to trade three first round picks to take Mac Jones with the number three pick in the draft. It feels like Kyle be wanting to go one way and y'all be trying to foist other people <laughs> upon him. Y'all are trying to give Kyle Shanahan, are you sure you want to take that guy? Have you met Brock? We have Brock <laughs> over here. And it's like the two whitest dudes in the world, yeah. Brock and Matt Corkle. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, oh, don't, don't you don't you want to give Matt Corkle a run? He's like, yo, I didn't get rich by being stupid. What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. But That's... they keep, like, I don't, I just have a very difficult... Like, do you realize how much you got to believe in a player to give up what they gave up to get Trey Lance? Like, I don't believe that anybody does that and then is like, nah, I'm bailing on this. Like, do you see how many chances Washington gave Robert Griffin? Because mm-hmm. they were in. And you could call it, a, like Pablo made the point about the sunk cost fallacy. The reason it's called a fallacy is because people use it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's called a fallacy and it comes up because people implement it. But the truth is, there's no advantage to me to rolling with Brock Purdy, or at the very least, not having a legitimate quarterback competition. The reason why um, the sunk cost fallacy does not apply in in this way is like the sunk cost fallacy is like throwing good money after bad. We don't know that this money is bad yet. That's the thing. Like if if Trey, I would be on board. Like Zach Wilson's an example. Like Zach Wilson seems it's pretty clear that he's not going to be the guy for the Jets. So, like, uh, investing more in trying to turn him into that, like, that would the sunk cost fallacy would apply because he's played enough games uh, to show that he may not be that guy. Trey Lance played one game this year, guys. Right. Also, and a monsoon. Relax. We don't, we don't know if Brock Purdy is good money. Yeah, that's we, true. We don't know this. It has been yeah. impressive that they have kept this going. But we don't know if he's good money. I just, you, if it's young guys in particular, I'm taking the more talented one every single yeah. time. That's why I think the Patriots need to put Matt Corkle on the bench. That zappy <laughs> dude looked like he more talented than him. Who the hell is Matt Corkle? Matt, Matt Corkle Jones. Oh. That's what Matt short for, Matt Corkle. Oh, is it really? McCorkle, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I was yeah. wondering who, I, I, I thought you were making a reference that I didn't get. What is a McCorkle? I thought Matt was short for Matthew. No, no, no. no. Mac Jones is Mac Corkle Jones, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Let me make sure I got this right. And those of you who know that my father's name is Mac Jones, I'll tell you right now, his name, Mac, is short for Mac. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is Michael Mac Corkle Jones. Nice. I like that. <laughs> I would say this is a, a random aside, but it might become 
uh, like something that we're all talking about next week, depending on the results of these games. But I'll ask you a um, rhetorical question. Who's the best defense in football right now? The obvious answer is the 49ers. You know what Patrick Mahomes did to them? Tell me. 423. <laughs> Three touchdowns. 44 points. 423 yards on 25 completions. And Tyreek Hill was in Miami. <laughs> What is we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Four twenty three. But last question before we dip out, as I'm looking at Matt Corkle's uh, wiki page, <laughs> and it makes a reference to his high school coach. Is there any whiter nickname to go by than Corky? Have you ever met a black Corky? I have never met a black Corky. Have you met a black Corky? I ain't met no Mexican Corky, and I done met a lot of Mexicans. I ain't uh, met a Mexican Corky yet. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I've never, ever met – I don't think I know a Corky, but if you say Corky, honestly, I'm imagining, like, like a preteen girl, probably, like Corky. Well, um, maybe we are of slightly different generations – I know exactly who I think of when I hear Corky. Um, and I think the people of my age will remember the Corky that I'm thinking about from a TV show called Life Goes On. That is my first thought uh, when I think of Corky. I'm trying to figure out how you start calling somebody Corky in the first place. <laughs> McCorkle is the only way. Nah, nah. So on this one, this guy Corky, who was Matt Corkle's high school coach, he said his dad read about a war hero who called his own son Corky, and I just need to know why you called your boy Corky in the first place. I don't know. It has to be a story that involves, like, wine, I feel like. Yeah. And it's funny. I was wondering, like, what could Corky possibly be short for him? There you go. Matt Corkle. Oh, man. 423. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that is Dominique Foxworth. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on the Dominique Foxworth Show. Check him out on Debatable. And, of course, check him here on Foxworth Fridays. My dude, I appreciate you. 423. 423. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Adi Khan, Parker Owens, and Dan Stanson handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, hit the voicemail line, 860 4119, tell us about the most embarrassed you have been by your parents, whether they did it on purpose or otherwise. 860-516-4119. Also, check out Game Theory, Fridays, 11 p.m. Eastern on HBO and HBO Max. Also streaming on HBO Max. Uh, remember to follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Bo, he had a adjusted QBR of 90.8. His raw QBR was 86. <laughs> Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.